Welcome to Q&A Selling Online with answers to questions about creating an online empire, promoting products, or building a brand. Your host, private label and e-commerce entrepreneur, Quinn Amorm. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Today we have with us the amazing Danny Carlson. Danny is a 27-year-old entrepreneur, podcaster, and a lifestyle architect. He started his first business producing extreme downhill longboarding videos in 2014, and he has since grown the FBA Amazon business, Kenji ROI, and he has more than 10 team members right now. Danny is also the host of a podcast. It's the Actualized Freedom podcast, and he has more than 60 interviews as of right now with big names like Daniel De Piazza, Steve Sims, Manny Coates, and Mr. Kevin King. Danny also regularly speaks with on live webinars and other podcasts just like this one and lots of business events. He's living in Bali right now, uh, but he was for the longest time in Canada and his business is still in Canada. Is that right, Danny? That is right. Yeah. Business is over there in Vancouver and um, just me and one sales guy over here in Bali. He likes to surf all the time. I like to do lots of acro yoga out here and ride motorcycles very fast because there's really no speed limits out here. So um, yeah, a little bit, a little bit of a lifestyle decision to, to come live out in Bali here. Man, I see a lot of pictures all the time of Bali and it's just fantastic looking. So like we were talking earlier, I can't wait for my kids to grow up so I can... Uh, actually go there and maybe maybe leave them here with, with somebody when they're a little bit bigger. So Danny, yeah. how did you go from longboard videos into Amazon? Was there any relation? Yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of thrust upon me there. It was related to longboarding that I made the decision to get into Amazon. So probably the previous two years before I started in uh, the Amazon industry, I was just researching different online businesses. I had read Tim Ferriss' 4-Hour Workweek like so many people have, and just that idea wasn't set there in my brain of the possibility of creating an online business where you can you can hire virtual assistants overseas and you can make something happen like that, right? So I had this idea percolating, but I never never really had a business model that just popped out to me and I just decided to go for it. I just knew it was something I wanted to do in the future. But it was in 2016 when I was racing longboards in the Philippines and I was on this remote island really far away from any of the nearest hospitals and I had a really crazy near-death experience. I almost hit a motorcycle head-on and it was probably about a two-inch miss. I had to dive off my board to avoid this head-on collision and one of my friends even got it on video, um, made I think like seven or $800 selling it to a viral video company um, but me almost dying. So that was just one of those moments of clarity where I just realized like, wow, like I almost just didn't even get to live this next chapter of my life. I almost just died a, a, a van traveling longboard bum, never even getting to, to try out this online business thing. So it became very clear to me in that moment that I just needed to choose one and just go for it and make it happen. So immediately when I got back from that trip, just got a few Amazon FBA courses and just dove right into it and learned everything I possibly could about that. And did you start any brand related to longboard or was it just random like like we all do start with uh, low-hanging fruit? Yeah, it was pretty random. So, I mean, unfortunately for me at the time, all the things that I was passionate about are very difficult to monetize. So mm. at the time, I really loved metal music, which, um, you know, not a very popular style of music. So very hard to monetize anything related to that. Also, longboarding. Most of the people who are into longboarding are just 
very broke individuals who don't spend a whole lot of money on on stuff. Yes. I knew because th- those are all my friends who were <laughs> constantly scraping together enough money to, you know, get a sponsor to give them 50% off a set of wheels or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I have friends who have companies in that niche and I know exactly how little money they make. So it just, mm. for me, I just had to choose things that I wasn't passionate about because I'm into weird stuff, you know, weird, mm-hmm. unmonetizable stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes weird stuff, uh, if there's a little bit of demand, it could be really good because uh, you avoid all the competition. But yeah, if there's no demand and it's weird, then there's no money to be made. Yeah, so, well, one quick point on that was um, if it's really weird and no one actually likes it, it's probably mm-hmm. a great niche. But in my case, if it's weird and there's lots of people who are passionate about it, then you get people who make companies that they're willing to make very little to no money on these companies because they're just really passionate about it. And that's, that's the very important distinction. You're not going to make any money on those kind of niches. Yeah. It's a big passion. That's a good one too. And now you run an agency and why, why did you pick the name Kenji? I can understand ROI. Why Kenji ROI? Yeah. So Kenji is just my middle name. So I'm half Japanese and Kenji means firstborn male son. So that's my actual middle name. And the reason I chose that name for the agency is because I never thought it would turn into an agency. I just came up with some name randomly when I was just like, Hey, I'm going to create some Amazon listings uh, for some sellers that I know. I should probably pick some kind of official name. Mm -hmm. So I chose that and bought the domain name. And then you know, here we are three years later and it's grown into a full agency. So it was a complete accident um, without any real thought. There you go. It was, I guess it was a good accident. I, I like the name. It's so different and it sounds cool to, to, to me. It almost sounds like a ninja style name, right? Yeah, Kenji, Kenji the Ninja. I've actually considered creating like a, a brand mascot. That's like a, some anime ninja or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's coming in the future. But when I have too much time in my hands, I and just create little mascots and stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, are you too busy with the agency or do you still sell on Amazon yourself? Uh, I do still sell on Amazon myself. So my products are very seasonal. So I spend most of my time for the spring season in Q1. That is the vast majority of my sales every year. Um, Q4 is actually the slowest season for my products. So I have lots of time throughout the rest of the year to focus on the agency and uh, my personal brand, which is just things I'm more passionate about, right? Amazon, mm-hmm. been doing it. The same thing for three years at this point. So I kind of know what to expect every Q1. Um, and I, the good thing about that is I get to miss the craziness of Q4 when everyone else is scrambling and being yes. super competitive. And my Q1 is kind of like everyone else's Q4. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I'm there right now. So for those of you listening, this we're right and almost arriving at the peak of Q4 right now. And Things are insane, right? So, uh, you know, I wake up in the morning and I have a calendar book with, for example, one one hour meeting. By the end of the day, sometimes I had 12, right? It's, <laughs> it's crazy. So, man, and you also podcast. So you, you also have a bit of time on that. I see you, you interviewed a few people that I also interviewed, like Dan, uh, Dan Meadows, uh, Ensign Wu from um, Feedback Wiz, Scott Needham. I actually just, aired it maybe last week yeah so you have some big names on your uh, on your podcast as well yeah i was just on scott needham's podcast i uh, had him on my podcast and then i just did it was on his podcast last week as well so so we know a lot of the same people i'm sure yeah and th- there's one thing that you have uh, that i do not have and i'm actually really bad at and it's the fact that the email sequences 
outside of Amazon. I have on Amazon some really good email sequences that probably are not even needed anymore. And we'll talk about that with the new review option, the new button. Uh, but outside of Amazon, I do not email anybody. And I, I am part of your list. And you send some beautiful, very nice emails to, to everybody. So tell me about that. Do you have a huge list outside of Amazon? Is that for, for the Kenji side of things? Yeah, so we have a list for the Kenji side of things, the agency, but then also for our Amazon products as well. And one of my best skill sets is writing sales copy. So that's actually how the agency started. That was the first service that we offered was, was sales copy. And it was me doing it. It's kind of a rare skill set to, to mix the sales copy with the Amazon keyword optimization. So that was the beginnings of the agency. And I think it is one of the most important skill sets for a small business owner to have. Because like you said, you can create emails that will turn into revenue. You can create Facebook ads that are going to turn into revenue. You can write sales pages. And all these things are, they're very difficult to hire someone who is really good at writing sales copy um, to create them. And if you do find someone, they're probably going to be really expensive, probably more than $100 an hour to create these kind of sales pages. Mm. So yeah, the, the email list is one of the biggest assets for the agency that generates revenue for that. Um, but I also really recommend people look into it as an option for growing an audience outside of Amazon as well for your product launches. And I know a lot of people, you guys hear this advice and you, you guys go and try it, a lot of you and you, you try a few things and then you stop doing it, but mm -hmm. it's a long-term game. It's, you're not going to build any kind of meaningful list in two months, three months, maybe six months of really hard work. And you have some kind of meaningful list right? Maybe a year, maybe even two years if you have some really slow moving products. But if you put in the work and you become good at writing these email sequences and a lot of them you set up once where, you know, people come into the sequence and they're triggered. Every single person's going through that same sequence that you wrote one time on one or two days, yeah. then that is an asset that that's going to re make returns for potentially years to come, right? So I think it's a, a very important thing to focus on. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, I haven't done much I, I thought every now and then I think about it and every time I hear a podcast and somebody mentions how important it is and I know it is important, I actually had somebody write email sequences for me and I, I did not send them. I didn't do anything with it. I had about 12,000 on a ClickFunnels list. Uh, my MailChimp had another six and none of them ever gets emails from me. Nobody. <laughs> so it's unfortunately, it's a waste and then the list actually if we don't talk to them often, it kind of right uh, becomes useless. Yeah, so people won't even remember where they signed up. I always think about it, I got to get back into it. And when you saw it, when I saw your emails, I'm like, oh man, this is super cool. So uh, congratulations for that. Yeah, it's a bit of a time investment, but totally worth it. And you you made a good point there too that you do need to keep your list engaged, or else people will forget who the heck you are, and they'll yeah. they'll be pissed off and they'll unsubscribe. Yes, right. Um, and a dead list, you can easily kill a list by just letting it sit for even a couple months. So I recommend for those of you who are building a list, um, add people to some kind of welcome sequence. So they're getting a new message from you every couple of days for the first little bit and they can get used to you and they know your brand and everything like that. And then put them onto your broadcast list. So I recommend sending out um, at least once a week, um, you know, once once every two weeks if you really don't have the time for it. But I recommend at least once a week with some kind of 
uh, piece of content that you're putting out just to keep them engaged, right? You yeah. can you can create a, a blog post, you get someone to write a blog post, then you can literally just send them an email directing them to that blog post with a little bit about what it's about. Um, and that that way you have the asset that you can pull from whenever you have your next product launch, whenever you have a promotion of some kind or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And let's get into the Amazon side of things. Let's talk about here some tips and stuff. Uh, you still do launches now, even if they're not your own, you still do launches for, for other people, of course. What are some of the tricks or tips that you're using right now to do launches? You still do giveaways? Um, yes, but not traditional coupon related giveaways anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So rebates, I think are the most effective way to go about it. Um, and it, it depends too on who we're running the launch for. So yeah. if they do have a really good external list, like an email list or a many chat subscriber list, then those are really good assets to, to launch to first. And then the second layer from there, it depends on how many we want to be given away, but a service like rebate key or something like that mm-hmm. um, might have to come into play if there's not a big enough audience to pull from. But preferably, we're using Facebook ads or Google ads to drive traffic and then capture that person's information, whether they're through email or if it's Facebook ads, usually directly to many chat sequence. And then we can use that sequence to one, they're now a subscriber, but then two, walk them through the steps on you know, how does the rebate work and everything like that and add them, add them to our product tester club so that it, it makes sense why they're getting a rebate. Um, yeah. And it, it is a bit custom to whatever product or brand that we're working with, but that's what we're seeing work the best right now. Did you play around with the search find buy yet? Yeah, search find buy, it's, we have mixed results with that. So like it does work quite well, but it can be very difficult to actually get the customer to go through all the steps yes. of search yeah. find buy. And especially if you're running paid traffic, then it can get very expensive per sale to actually get someone to go through all the steps of the search find buy. Maybe yeah. you're, you're spending way too much money for each one of those that it might not be worth it. So we do try it out with most campaigns. Sometimes it, it works at a cost that makes sense, and yeah. but but we never rely on it as the only ranking strategy. It's always going to be paired with just like some regular full-on rebates or, or something else. Yeah, I actually tried it, and I mentioned it earlier to um, one of the Helium 10 guys, and it's the fact that the pins, that just like you said, uh, what the product is, what the category is, because certain categories, if you need to do, I don't know, two or three hundred items, you cannot find enough people to go through the whole search find by process. So I was trying to figure out a way where we could do like this huge marketing campaign and make it like a game, like gamify the thing. Who's the first to find this product? And uh, so that's still in the works. But uh, I was uh, wondering if you had any any headway on that when it comes to that. Yeah, well, you know, what's uh, an interesting one. Um, I have a friend. I've never tried this, but... He, he went through the trouble to go set all of this up, which is he just hired a local college student or you know someone at a university to go set up a table on a university campus and just with a sign that says like, hey, we'll pay you 10 bucks for, you know, if you purchase this product on Amazon or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he, that rep can actually walk them through the search find buy process on their phone. Um, just like, hey, open up your Amazon app, type in this keyword, boom, purchase. My and God. and then it's it's done and verified right in front of the rep, right? This that gets rid of a huge problem of of the search find buy. It's gonna you're literally there walking them through the whole process mm-hmm. and then you pay them ten bucks on the spot. There's no verification needed because you, you watch them do it. Um, yeah. 
But I mean, you know, that's that's a whole lot to set up, and, and the logistics of that are a little tricky. But yeah, if you need to do a lot of a lot of products on a promotion, maybe it's worth looking into. Absolutely, and if you're if you're living in the states and probably in a huge city, that could be a lot easier, right? Uh, now, uh, being remote like you and and I am, it's uh, you would have to first even find the person that's going to do that for you. But I mean, the idea is genius. Yeah, yeah, it's so. great. Well, he's a you know he's a Canadian guy, so he just he has the contacts down in the states there to to make it happen. He coordinated it all from another country. Yeah. And uh, earlier I talked about the the new review system, and there's probably a ton of people out there that haven't even noticed this. But you you saw this new button that we have now in Seller Central to request reviews. Yeah, I saw that. I still haven't looked into it too much here. I've been really mm-hmm. focused on other client work. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like Amazon is is trying to kind of get rid of the seller email feature, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. I so. I saw that uh, two, three days ago, and it was really cool to see what actually Amazon sends the customer. Because from what I can see so far, you cannot unsubscribe from this. So if you click on request review, Amazon messages the clients and they send the image of the product and the direct link to the review of the product. And from what I've seen, you, you cannot unsubscribe from this. So everybody will get them. So I think it's something that's going to work fantastic for the next few weeks, <laughs> right? And then when everybody is doing it, it uh, it just may, you know, just like everything else when it's uh, abused. Because personally, since it's not automated yet, I, I had the VA go there and then you hit control and then you click on every single one of the orders and a ton of the orders open, 15 per page. And I had her go request reviews for you can only do last 30 days, I believe. So we were good going, opening the last 30 days and doing that. And there's another advantage that you do that. If you have a product that is uh, on subscribe and save, you can actually see how many orders they place. And the person that has bought 12 of your products is definitely happy with your product, right? So we go, we go I told her, start with these. If they have bought more than once and they don't have refunds, ask them, right? And to be completely honest, it's been two days since we started it, and there hasn't been much activity. There's some, but not much, not like I thought. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that, like, whenever Amazon comes out with some new feature, mm-hmm. um, us as marketers, we, we want to jump in and you're like, that's the answer, that's the new thing, and it's going to be great. But if you yes. really think about it, it's, it's just another email. Like, we're already sending out emails um, requesting reviews to our customers, right? And, um, you know, maybe this email is slightly better. Like it comes from, you know, it comes from Amazon. It's got a direct link to the product and everything like that. But I can tell you personally that whenever I get an email from Amazon or something like that, you know, any at amazon.com yeah. probably is going straight into my trash <laughs> because we just expect, uh, you know, an order notification or some kind of BS from Amazon. Mm-hmm. So yes. yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how effective it really is. It's uh, as sellers. It, we actually get more indifferent emails than than um, the normal person as a buyer. But I, I did go in the notification settings and I tried to turn off all the ones that really don't help me, like the uh, fulfillment reports and all that. I go and I'll do them all manually myself or uh, through software, of course. But uh, I don't 
nobody reads those emails as a seller, I don't think. So I stopped all of those. But still, like you said, most of them was like, yeah, garbage, right? Delete. Totally. Yeah. So Danny, let's talk about image here. You are also very strong when it comes to product photography. Is that right? Yeah, we got our photo team over there in Vancouver and our photo studio and um, the photographers are out there every day and around the Vancouver downtown core and up in the mountains just doing lifestyle photography shoots for our clients. Yeah. So, and uh, you know, what's, what's incredible is uh, I saw on your site, the, the Kenji ROI, and that's for everybody listening, just KenjiROI.com. And you have a portfolio sesh, uh, section there and you actually have images, which are, are beautiful. And I was shocked to see that you actually show some of the products while most of the Amazon sellers do everything possible to hide the products. And and that's me included, right? Some go and create fake accounts just so people can go and find their fake accounts. And you actually share it there and there's some beautiful uh, photography. So congratulations for that. And why, why aren't you afraid like 99% probably percent of the sellers to show brands that you're working on or own? You're not afraid of the competition? No, well, it's a good thing you brought that up because absolutely, we only show our clients products that we have expressed permission from them. So our default state mm-hmm. is that we cannot show our clients products. Like we, mm-hmm. we don't, um, we're the opposite. A lot of people are we're going to show the products unless they say that we can't, but we always assume that we cannot show our, our clients' products publicly. So on an intake form, we have a little checkbox that specifically asks them, it's like, hey, would you be okay with us showcasing your products in our portfolio? Mm-hmm. And it's probably around 70 or 80% of our clients that do not want us to show their products publicly because yeah. the, you know people don't want the Chinese copycats and all that stuff seeing their products. But um that 20% does allow us to build up our public portfolio. So, I mean, I would love if our portfolio was, you know, had a whole lot more products in there, but um, you know how Amazon sellers are, don't really like to, to share their products. Absolutely. I, that, that's something that when I saw it, I was shocked because there's so many things that I wish I could sh- share with the world. Hey, look at this, like some images that are beautiful. And we, we work a lot with 3D and I personally like 3D. When, when it comes to anything related to health or supplements, right? If it's other things, I think photography is better. But uh, when it comes to bottles in 3D, I think they just look so beautiful. Uh, but we can't share anything, so it's a bit frustrating. Now, you touched on the Chinese copycats. There's another thing besides the copycats is the black hats, which is even worse. Uh, have you been affected by any black hat? Oh, absolutely. I think I think everyone has to some degree, right? Whether that's whether that's a string of fake reviews that are obviously from some mm-hmm. Chinese accounts or something like that, or um, just some kind of ranking manipulation that is can't it's impossible to tell what's going on. Like they don't have any reviews, but they're getting like so much sales velocity that they're somehow ranking at the top of page one with like yeah. two reviews and stuff like that. Yes. Um, but luckily for me, I don't go after the really competitive Amazon products that tend to attract like the craziness, right? So most of my products, they, they sell somewhere in the order between ten dollars $20,000 per month, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so there, there definitely are from time to time some bad players that come in there, but never had a situation where, you know, someone just like went to war with me and just like all out was like doing all of the dirty tricks in the book and just like really aggressively, um, 
trying to rank on page one and getting a million interviews and stuff like that. So I guess I've been pretty lucky in that regard with my own products. Mm-hmm. You know what? We, we were uh, affected by one that is actually so ingenious, so smart that I, I only figured it out almost by accident. So we had a listing that was at one point a really good seller. And then uh, with time, some listings end up dying or the demand disappears, right? Like fidget spinners, although it was definitely not a fidget spinner. But now I had a listing that had so many reviews with a four, was it 4.6 star rating? So I figured, you know what, this... This listing, uh, it, we shouldn't do that, but this listing may be able to be reused in the future for something else with already, uh, I don't know how many reviews it had, but it was a nice amount. And that listing uh, went to zero. Uh, I mean, when we stopped it, we canceled that listing. And then after it was stopped for a while, the reviews all disappeared. And I didn't know what happened. I actually thought... Amazon did it since it's been out of stock for six months or something. And what happened was that was not the same listing. So my listing was taken over and it was used as a child ASIN for a cell phone case. And that was a brand new listing that was put uh, on for my product. The only way to catch this was in my store. I forgot to stop to cancel the page for that product. So I had a product page and my store still directed me to my product that now was a cell phone case. And that's how Amazon <laughs> caught it. But I would, I would have never known how that happened. So Amazon, yeah, they gave me the listing back now with the reviews. And now I have both. I have the one that they created for me, same title, same bullet points, everything. Just the images were, uh, they had less pixels. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never underestimate a marketer's ability to sit in front of a computer and figure out some crazy hacks, right? <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. So uh, you you mentioned earlier how you are, your specialty was copywriting. Uh, what are some of the tips that you have for when it comes to copywriting? Do you do it to focusing more on the human side or the algorithm? So it's always more important to focus on the human side because the human side feeds the algorithm side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, I mean, you do need to have the right keywords in the right places, but for example, optimizing for click-through rate. So if your title is like super keyword stuff and it's kind of hard to pick out the right information, you're just repeating like three keyword phrases in a row at the start of your title and, and not putting the information a customer needs to click, then your click-through rate is going to go down, which is going to negatively affect you and the algorithm too. So always optimizing for the human aspect will uh, will give Amazon's algorithm what it needs. Mm-hmm. So, and I think a lot of people can over-optimize when it comes to keywords. So there's actually not that much tech space that is allowed on the listings anymore. Like you got 250 characters in the, the backend search term fields and you got some subject matter fields and, you know, title. But I recommend keeping the bullet points pretty pretty concise and short Mm -hmm. because it is not that big of a factor for keyword ranking. So like really at the end of the day, there's not that much real estate to put different keywords. So I always recommend being hyper relevant instead of super broad. So Amazon's algorithm, um, at least for the past year or two, seems to be highly favoring relevancy over, over getting as many keywords as possible in there. So it might actually be hurting you over optimizing for too many different keywords 
um, if they're, you know, you're starting to push the relevancy into kind of like related products and, and words that are not just like hyper relevant to the product, it's, it's really important to, to optimize firstly for the human user and get that click-through rate high and get that conversion rate high. And then just, you know, come back, come back through it and make sure you got your most important keywords there. Yeah, I love that. I love that, Danny, because there's a lot of people that do not realize that, that relevancy is number one. And Amazon measures relevancy through the conversion rate, the, the click-through rate, and uh, not like Facebook is likes, shares, and comments. Amazon does not have that. So yeah, we got to give the algorithm what they want. And at the same time, the human is the one that owns the wallet that's going to buy it. So we need that. I still see so many listings with a 400 character title. Um, if, if you sell in, <laughs> it's funny that in Canada, uh, since uh, it's bilingual, you can do your listing half in English, half in French. So you have double the amount of characters that people can use. And there's people that use them all. <laughs> and so it's almost like reading a description on your title. Uh, come on. <laughs> yeah, it makes it such a mess too. Like it's so overwhelming. Like you got to think of someone on a search results page, they're scrolling and you're just very like scanning just to see mm -hmm. what you should click on, right? The brain is just like very quickly scanning over everything. And if your title is just a giant mess, most people scanning brains just skip right over it, right? They can't pick out easily and clearly exactly what the product is and if it's the exact type of product they want like if they want you know bluetooth for headphones or whatever you know they're looking mm -hmm. specifically for bluetooth for then you know if that information is not clearly in the first little bit of the title there they're they're going to scan onto someone else's who is and they know exactly yeah. that that's what they're looking for yeah and let's talk a little bit about uh your team and how to manage your team because since i have one as well one of the things that was the hardest at the beginning, and it's something that we're working on very strongly now, is getting systems in place so I can remove myself if, I mean, if I'm not present, stuff can still happen. How have you done that to make sure that your team knows exactly what steps to take and when to take them and what to do? Do you have that in place? Yeah. So first off, I need to give a ton of credit to my mentors. So in the form of um, Daniel D. Piazza from Alpha Mentorship, worked mm -hmm. with them for about eight months out of last year and just like really helped me get wrapped around these systems and processes and, and everything. Um, you know, it, it wasn't cheap to, to pay to work with them, but it was absolutely worth every, every penny of it. And also two books highly related to that. There is Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz and Traction by Gina Wickham. And I just made those two books my Bible for about a year and just worked mm -hmm. through everything in there. And uh, I can't recommend going through that process enough. It's all about creating the systems and processes and how to structure and train your team to the point where you can actually step away from your business for at least a month without sending a single email, if it really came down to it. That's mm -hmm. kind of like the test of if you successfully completed everything in the book. So um, I'm not quite there yet. I have set my date for February 25th that I want to step away from the business completely for a month and everything should be good, right? So I got a couple new projects that need to be finished up for that to happen. But even to the point where it's at now, we have most of the systems in place that allow that to be possible. And it has allowed me to do things like start my second podcast and spend more time on my personal brand. And it's um, from a pure time standpoint, it only takes about two hours per day to 
you know, make sure my agency is running good and, and everything on that. You know, sometimes I spend more and I'm, I'm working on some content or some other things like that. But at the end of the day, um, I could I could get away with spending two hours per day on, on the agency. Um, so just creating really good systems and processes and then hiring the right team members to operate those systems and processes and make sure that you have really good training in place. Um, essentially, essentially is what it is. It's just having those those key systems in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something like I'm working on getting, uh, like, like Amazon is huge on standard, standard operating procedures. And that's what I'm trying to do that, you know, if you mimic the, the big ones, maybe one day you'll be that big. And so I'm trying to get standard operating procedures for, for everything, just so we can try to do things once. And then, uh, there was actually somebody I interviewed once that had a really cool idea. And most people are writing down every failure that they have. We write down what went wrong so, so it doesn't happen again. But often we forget to write down the steps we took when something was successful, right? Because it was successful, we go celebrate, oh yeah, this is huge, and go celebrate and you forget about it. So I started doing that and, and now we actually take note of all the steps we did for all the successful things too. But of course, yeah, the, the failures are very needed as well. Have you ever had, yeah. have you ever had a huge failure, Danny? Oh yeah. Oh, tons. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, I have a big extreme sports background. Like all my life I've been into anything that's like really dangerous and fun, you know, skiing hitting big jumps on my mountain bike or whatever it was. Um, I've always been very risk tolerant. So that got me mm-hmm. into some trouble. When I first started out in online business, I just, you know, way overly aggressive with, with everything. And it, I've, I've never been to university, so mm-hmm. I learned my education through losing money. I think, um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a, a friend of mine, he puts it so well. He, it's, he says that business is an education that you pay for by losing money. And that's certainly been the case for me the, because those are the lessons that you learn and you never forget, right? Mm-hmm. You, you make a $10,000 mistake, you're not going to make that mistake again. You're going to, you're going to know exactly why that happened and how to avoid it in the future. And you're going to be very cognizant of that going forward, right? If you went to business school and you just learned the same thing, the exact same thing, theoretically, and you wrote a test on it or whatever, you're not really internalized that like, you know, but like, if you're like me, you're probably going to go make that mistake anyways, right? Because there's so many things that so many big mistakes I've made that I knew from reading business books or whatever, or like hearing someone's podcast or something, but I still, I still made it anyways, you know? And it wasn't until I actually threw some of my own money in the toilet that I internalized it and and really learned it. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately that, that happens in, I'm guessing that's what makes a lot of the entrepreneurs as successful as they are is the fact that they fail so often because if you don't fail, what are you going to learn? Right. Uh, Although there's some, uh, some that uh, hurt more than others. And I had, I had a big one a few years ago where uh, I did lose. I mean, I learned so much, but I don't know if I needed to spend 270000 to learn all those lessons. And some of them I already knew. And it's just, it's very painful. But yeah, I guess <laughs> whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger, right, Danny? Yeah, well, and I think it's so good to to make those mistakes, especially when you're starting out in business, because those are going to be smaller mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, I actually know quite a few entrepreneurs that they just reached a, 
pretty good level of success very early in their business, right? Like their, their year, maybe like not even two years into their first ever business venture. And they have like a really solid multi-million dollar business. It's very profitable and it just all kind of went really well for them. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those same friends then were faced with situations where they made a, a rookie mistake and it ended up costing them $200,000 or you know, $300,000 or whatever it is, right? So it's mm-hmm. now a much bigger mistake that if they actually made the same mistake when they're just starting out, it would have been, you know, $5,000 or, yeah. you know, much less painful mistake. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the fail fast process. I actually, my second podcast is called exactly that. It's called, it's the fail fast podcast. Uh, and it's exactly that. Learn how to fail quickly while your failure is still correctable, right? You can still fix it and continue. Uh, because that's what happened to to us in that situation. It was one of the fastest growing businesses I had, and it was five months to seven figures. Uh, so it, it rookie mistakes happened, and we thought it was all sunshine. And when reality, uh, we were losing a lot of money. It generated those seven figures like that, but we lost two hundred and seventy. So. That, that's why I hear a lot of entrepreneurs when they when they mention and you, you probably saw that before uh, yeah I'm making 10 million a year or 15 million uh, so sales doesn't really matter right what's coming into your pocket is what really matters and sometimes like in that situation I was making a lot of money but none of it was going into the pocket right only out so it's uh, yeah live and learn oh absolutely. And that just makes you a more resilient entrepreneur going forward, right? Mm-hmm. So, Danny, you're, uh, are you in Bali because you have any advantage over your competitors being there? Over maybe, uh, or is it just because it's beautiful weather and you can surf and longboard? Um, I mean, the main reasons why I'm out here is really the people, the community, right? So if anything, it's actually a bit of a business disadvantage because I'm not in the same time zone as you know America and most of my clients. So mm-hmm. I have to wake up very early in the morning if I do need to have a call with the East Coast because the East Coast of the States is exactly 12 hours time difference. Oh. Um, it's literally the other side of the world. So, um, but the upside of being here, I mean, you mentioned, uh, obviously, it's a very beautiful tropical place and the, the quality of life you can have out here for a very small amount of money is quite amazing. Um, for example, um, a friend of mine lives in basically a crazy mansion that has a moat going around it and a 10 foot tall golden Buddha statue with two staircases going up on either side there. And he pays um, 1500 US dollars per month. You for one of the bedrooms, and there's four bedrooms, and they each cost 1500 a month. And it's like basically wow. a castle with a moat. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy value out here. But the main reason is the communities. So, there's a very strong entrepreneurial community out here. Um, lots of expats from yeah. all over Europe, the States, Canada, um, Australia that have been living out here long term. And there's a whole plethora of co working spaces. and you know, there's a, a monthly monthly business networking event here that, that attracts some very interesting people just doing really inspiring businesses um, mm-hmm. of all sorts online. So the community here, it, it really normalizes the loneliness of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, and back where I'm from in Vancouver, even there is a there's an entrepreneurial community, but it's a much bigger city, but has, still has a much smaller entrepreneurial community than it does out in Bali here. And not only the entrepreneurial community, but the, the conscious community, like people who are into 
um, you know, personal development and healthy, yes. healthier lifestyles, meditation, and um, and that kind of thing is what the strongest I've ever been to in anywhere in the world. For example, my favorite party was just on uh, this Saturday, just passing. It's once a month for the full moon, and it's a completely alcohol-free event, like no alcohol, no drugs, and starts off with like some acro yoga, and then goes into like this beautiful cacao ceremony where everyone's like yelling at the fire and, and doing eye gazing and all this you know weird hippie stuff, um, oh. and then. Uh, a big ecstatic dance and there's like three 300 plus people there in this beautiful location like this on this platform that goes out into the rice field you're literally like in the middle of a rice field on the dance floor and there's a giant statue of the of this goddess like probably you know 15 20 foot tall statue right there it's just it's so cool to be surrounded by people like that and not you know you don't have to go out to the club or you know the bar to go drinking to go meet people and and and, uh, have that kind of social experience that is so fascinating. That that's the kind of stuff I would really love being part of, and you know, just because that that heals you, and at the same time gives you the a really positive mindset. And I'm all about being positive, and so that that fascinates me. And like we, we spoke earlier, because I have three screaming kids, uh, <laughs> it's it's hard going anywhere, right? Uh, for for longer periods of time and one of them is in school so danny uh let everybody know where they can contact you where they can find you hear more about you about your podcast let us know yeah so for those of you who are into the amazon fba stuff i have the actualized freedom podcast so you can just go search that on itunes or actualizedfreedom.com and reach out to me there or just on the socials um on facebook or instagram i am danny.k.carlson uh, I could always reach out to me with a DM there, and I'm happy to uh, happy to talk shop on Amazon. Or there's uh, for those of you who are more into the personal development, the lifestyle side of things, or growing your own digital agency, I have the Danny Carlson podcast. So I mean, I share everything on there from you know successful agency owners, how I've grown my agency, to I just released an episode about how I had a closing ceremony for a relationship that I just had. So weird hippie stuff like that, and uh, growing the agency is uh, the Danny Carlson podcast. There you go. I just wrote it down and I have that on the show notes for you guys listening. Uh, so check it out. It's going to be at qasellingonline.com forward slash Danny Carlson. Danny, it was a pleasure having you on the show and uh, thank you so much. We, we got to do this again. Heck yeah, Quinn. Thanks for having me on. That was a stimulating conversation and uh, it's good to connect with another Canadian there all the way across the world. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, Danny. All right. Cheers, guys.